I thought I'd start out with some case studies. Uh, we could title this lecture, How to Rob the Surgeon, um, especially if they're a vascular surgeon. Uh, but I didn't do that. Case studies in lifestyle medicine. These are cases from my own practice. I don't have a lifestyle center. You could go to Weimar and get similar results or to Uchi Pines or any of those. But you can do this in your own practice. And uh, that's really the take home message of this first part. Uh, these are uh, people that uh, just walked into my practice and uh, unfortunately, not all of them listened the first time. But, um, you know, that happens with me at home. I don't always listen to my wife the first time either. <laughs> Though they suffered from not listening to me and I suffer from not listening to her. Case studies. JB, an 83-year-old woman with hypertension, coronary artery disease, hyperlipidemia. She had an abdominal aortic aneurysm repair in 1970, four-vessel coronary artery bypass grafting in 1980, an aortofemoral uh, bypass in 1998. You might say that she has vascular disease. She developed type 2 diabetes in 2004, complicated by stage 3 chronic renal insufficiency in 2007. In 2008, she presented with severe intermittent claudication, maximum tolerable walking distance before rest less than 100 feet. That's trouble. Her pulses were traced to absent. Her meds were as follows, metoprolol 50 BID, atorvastatin 80, rather major dose there, aspirin 81, isosorbide uh, 60 milligrams day, glipizide 5 milligrams daily nitro, and uh, she was still having chest pain when she walked if she uh, could tolerate her leg pain. I said, well, we could do, uh, you know, surgery again maybe, uh, but your kidneys wouldn't stand it very well. It might kill you. Uh, would you like to try something else? She said, I'd rather do anything than have surgery. I've had enough of that. I said, all right, we'll do a reversal diet. Now, a reversal diet is the same thing that uh, Esselstein and Ornish and those guys use, only mine, I do allow a few nuts. It's not really mine. You can read it in Ministry of Healing. She says, be careful with those. <laughs> diet and health, that's the chapter if you want to look it up. So she chose to try a reversal diet. September, two months later, she was walking three miles a day without chest pain. Now listen, it didn't take that long. It took two weeks. She came in back in two weeks and she said, I want you to know I walked for two miles today. That's the longest she had walked in years. And uh, so she uh, had not needed any nitro. October, just, just saw her before I came down. She fell off her diet this summer. I had to put her back on more blood pressure medicine as you can see there as a result of that. But uh, then she got the idea that maybe she should get back on it when her legs started to ache, and now she's doing better. She's still on no diabetic meds. Look at her serum creatinine, 1.1. Yes, she still has renal insufficiency, but it's better than it was in 2008. Next case. This guy is a mess, as you can see. If you thought the previous one was a mess, look at this one. 
GH, 76-year-old man with coronary artery disease, congestive heart failure. He's already had several MIs. Diabetes mellitus type 2, actually it's type 2B. He's on insulin. Stage 3 chronic renal insufficiency, coronary artery bypass grafting in 1992, cor uh, right coronary artery endarterectomy in 1998. That uh, right uh, carotid was actually done twice. It clotted the first time. They'd repeated it, and then it occluded again. Uh, trouble, you know, he has severe peripheral vascular disease with right subclavium, bilateral femoral, and right renal artery stenosis. Uh, the carotid artery had uh, completely occluded on the right in 2000, but in 2010 I did another duplex scan which showed greater than 70% stenosis of the left uh, carotid and again, total collusion, uh, occlusion of the right. He was admitted in July to the ICU with non-Q-wave MI. After evaluation by cardiology, he was told that his coronary artery disease was small vessel diffuse disease for which there was no therapeutic options other than meds. So here's his discharge meds. And by the way, he did have chest pain on uh, the day of discharge with minimal activity like walking out the door. His discharge meds were as follows, metoprolol 100 BID, losartan 100 milligrams daily, simvastatin 80 milligrams daily. Now you'll notice that I wouldn't use simvastatin at this dose today and amlodipine, but we didn't know better then. Chlorthalidone 25 milligrams and Lasix. Why chlorthalidone and Lasix? Because I needed to use both in order to keep his potassium within normal limits. I mean, this guy's a mess. Aspirin, 81 milligrams daily. Plavix, 75 milligrams daily. Lasix, 80 milligrams daily. Isosorbide, 60 milligrams daily. Amlodipine, 10 milligrams daily. Plus, he's on Novolog and Levomir, 65 units a day. On admission, his serum creatinine was 2.6. His potassium, 6.3. He experienced chest pain with mild exertion on the day of discharge. He wished to try a reversal diet. Why? Because he didn't want to die. I mean, it's pretty simple. His back's to the wall. What are you going to do? So, you know, I had worked with this guy for years. So he'd been through our Lifestyle Choices program. He said, yeah, 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 give me meds. Well, now meds won't work. Surgery won't work. So, October, a little more than a year later, on a reversal diet, he walks regularly. He still has congestive heart failure with a low ejection fraction, has to be careful with his salt and potassium intake. That's from the hyporenanemic hypoaldosteronism. But he has had no chest pain, has not required nitro for the last 10 months. His medication is as follows, metoprolol 50 by BID, amlodipine daily, atorvastatin down to 20 milligrams daily, aspirin 81, Lasix 20. Levomir is down to 24 units. He does not require Novolog anymore. Look at his serum creatinine, 1.7. Potassium normal, LDL 60. And look at this, September, that's this year, 2011, carotid artery duplex showed less than 50% narrowing of the left carotid artery. This was confirmed. I didn't believe it, so I confirmed it with an MRA. The right's still occluded. Surgery doesn't do that. Surgery corrects a mechanical problem, but it does not address the disease process. Next one.
This guy uh, I'm going to be interviewing uh, when I go home on November 3 for Maine Public Radio uh, on their speaking in Maine. Uh, interesting guy. He came to me uh, in referral from the surgeon. He had a facial lesion that needed to be resected, uh, but he had mentioned to the surgeon, oh, by the way, I get chest discomfort when I walk. Surgeon sent him for a pre-op uh, treadmill stress test. Uh, because of that, prior to seeing the surgeon the week before, he had not seen a physician for 50 years. <clears throat> On September 17, I'll never forget this, 2010, his pre-test blood pressure was 160 over 90. He exercised for two minutes, 20 seconds on a Bruce protocol and developed chest discomfort. Actually, he developed chest discomfort before he hit two minutes. He had four millimeters ST depression with a peak pressure of 220 over 110. He refused nitro. I stopped the treadmill and said, would you like some nitro? He said, no, I don't think so. It's not too bad yet. 30 minutes later, and all this time I'm trying to talk him into going into the hospital, 30 minutes later his ST segments were still down, they were depressed a millimeter, but his pain had eased. I didn't say it had gone away, it had eased. I'm sure his tropes bumped, but we didn't check those. His blood pressure had dropped, isn't that nice, to 180 over 100. He refused ICU admission despite strong urging. He was given scripts from atoprolol, nitro, simvastatin, and lisinopril and urged to take aspirin. He requested information on diet. And he and his wife were counseled on diet by my nurse practitioner, Mary Penner, who's here today. And if you want some uh, help on what to say, talk to her, not me. For two hours, and on the foolishness of trying diet alone by me, why? Because this guy was a great, I mean, his chance of sudden death was high. I mean, let's face it. Sometimes if you break your leg, you need a cast. And that's what medication is. It's not to be used when the leg's healed. Medicine doesn't fix anything, but sometimes it's needed. But he didn't fill his medication uh, at all. I gave it to him, but he didn't fill it. He was seen in the office three days later on a careful diet. His blood pressure was 130 over 70. He was eating very carefully. Three weeks later, he was seen in the office, and he noted that he had walked the three-mile Bunyan Preserve Trail on Westport Island. I went and walked it because I wanted to see what he had done. I couldn't believe it. Without chest discomfort, Though he did admit to fatigue and leg soreness the next day as it was the longest walk he had taken in several years. <laughs> the next week he had the planned surgery, much to the distress of the anesthesiologist. This guy <laughs> called me up and said, you know, this guy could drop dead on the table. I said, yeah, but he just walked three miles and you're not going to do that to him, so go ahead. October 11, he reported no chest, uh, October 2011, he's reported no chest discomfort with exertion since he went on this diet. He's still following the diet strictly, walking regularly, feels great on no medication, and I'll be interviewing him next week. Okay, now here's uh, this case here. Um, I wouldn't have even tried this. In fact, Here's the truth. I usually talk to diabetics 
that are type 2. I don't mess around with type 1. And I was uh, working with this girl, and you'll see in the story where this happens, but she said, how come you won't help me? I said, well, we can't reverse your diabetes. She said, well, you ought to at least try to do something. <laughs> so we did. DG, a 55-year-old woman, that's my age. She was born just a few months before me. She always reminds me that she, she's my elder. <laughs> and then I have to do what she says. She has a 47-year history of type 1 diabetes. She's on an insulin pump. Her diabetes is complicated by retinopathy with unilateral blindness, uh, neuropathy with peripheral and autonomic uh, neuropathy. She has gastroparesis. She has nephropathy, status post-renal failure, dialysis, and renal transplant. Her husband gave her a, a kidney before they were married. That's real love. In 1996. In 2000, because of gradually increasing angina, a cath was done, which showed small vessel diffuse coronary artery disease, and they said, well, we can't help you. In 2008, because of severe peripheral vascular disease, she developed recurrent foot ulcerations, and digit amputation was discussed. Once you start that, you go do the digits, then you do the forefoot, then you do a BKA, and then you're up to an AKA. But she didn't want to do that. She was losing vision in her left eye despite laser treatments every three months and could no longer read. In December 2008, her serum creatinine was 2.6. She had absent pedal pulses and lower extremity segmental pressures and waveforms showed incompressible lower extremity vessels bilaterally and moderate distal ischemia on the right and left, secondary to iliac and or femoral artery occlusive disease and also distal disease. She's in trouble. Somewhat in desperation and because she said to me, aren't you going to do anything? And her husband said, I don't have another kidney to give you. <laughs> in January 2009, I offered to coach her and her supportive husband, you know why he was supportive, on a reversal diet, and she has followed the diet strictly since. In August 2011, listen closely, segmental lower extremity pressure and waveform studies were repeated and showed how much evidence of ischemia? No evidence of distal ischemia on the right or left. Her pedal pulses are now palpable and her sensation to a 10-gram nylon monofilament that was absent in 2008 has normalized except on the right distal great toe where it remains diminished. In 2011, her serum creatinine was 1.6. That's an improvement. You notice that, right? This doesn't happen uh, with medicine. Her cholesterol-HDL ratio was 3.1. She tests four to six times a day and has few, if any, sugars below 80 since changing her diet, whereas before this it was a common occurrence. Now, her hemoglobin A1C was 6.1, is 6.1. You're not supposed to run them that low, okay? You're supposed to run it at seven. Why? Because you can't get someone below seven and not have them experience hypoglycemia, which is deadly to the heart and the brain. 
unless they're on a very careful diet, which she is. I have never seen control like hers because I've never had another type 1 diabetic on as careful a diet. But she runs her sugars essentially normal without hypoglycemia. She reports that it's much easier to control her blood sugar than before. She has not had any angina or required nitro for more than a year. Her, her vision stabilized. She can read again um, uh, after the dietary change. She has not needed any further laser treatment. Her ophthalmologist has reduced her visits to yearly. The necrobiosis, you know what that is, on the legs. Uh, you know, it's necrobiosis diabetic, uh, lipotica diabeticorum, or something like that. Anyway, it's gone. And her nephrologist, ophthalmologist, and vascular surgeon are nonplussed. At some point, it may become malpractice not to offer lifestyle medicine. <laughs> She probably wouldn't be alive today. Now I have a question. How many of you in this room are doctors? Doctors of medicine or doctors of dentistry? Will you stand up? All right, you can all sit down. How many of you know what it means to be a doctor? It means to be, well, the word doctor comes from the Latin word docere. It means to teach. You should be a teacher. And Ellen White knew this. She said, the true physician is an educator. He recognizes his responsibility not only to the patients that are under his direct care, but also to the community in which he lives. He stands as a guardian of both physical and moral health. <clears throat> but then it gets sticky. The physician's example, no less than his teaching, should be a positive power on the right side. The cause of reform calls for men and women whose pract life practice is an illustration of self-control. It is our practice of the principles we inculcate that gives them weight. Do you have trouble changing your patient's lifestyle? What's your own look like? The world needs a practical demonstration of what the grace of God can do in restoring to human beings their lost kingship, giving them mastery of themselves. There is nothing the world needs so much as a knowledge of the gospel's saving power revealed in Christ-like lives. Did we switch here? Did we go from physical to spiritual? Not yet. She's talking about the physical. There is nothing the world needs so much as the knowledge of the gospel's saving power, the gospel's ability to change your health habits and mind. Remember what Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Ellen White in Desire of Ages says, the very essence of the gospel is restoration. Restoration is not just emotional and spiritual, it's physical too. These aren't in your handout. As I told John Chung, I can't stop adding stuff. 
so this morning I added some more. This is from uh, College of Medical Evangelists 7.3. The union of Christ-like work for the body and Christ-like work for the soul is the true interpretation of the gospel. No break there between for the body and for the soul. Genuine medical missionary work, that's what we're supposed to be doing. Genuine medical uh, missionary work is the gospel practiced. Volume 8 of the Testimonies, 168. Well, that makes sense. You know, we're medical missionaries and we're practicing the gospel, right? Yeah? But listen, let's go on. This is from Councils on Health. The ministry needs the medical missionary work to demonstrate the practical working of the gospel. And then from page 524, the medical missionary work is the gospel in illustration. Show me how the gospel works. It works in the spiritual just like it works in the physical. Let me say one thing and get it clear with you. Don't be teaching salvation or healing by works. Healing comes by faith in a power, the power of God. That's the gospel. The reason that health, the medical missionary work is the opening wedge is not because we do this bait and switch thing. It's because medical missionary work is the gospel in illustration. Remember what the Bible says, Psalm 103, verse 3, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases. Remember the Hebrew parallelism here. It's saying the same thing in both lines. It's the same gospel. And if you want to change patients' lives, you have to introduce trust in divine power at the beginning. Because we're not Dean Ornish. We're not Esselstein. We're not Campbell. We don't tell you how, how to live longer for 20 years, to lengthen your life by 10 or 20. We're talking about eternity. That was just an aside. <laughs> but I want you to listen closely to this next quote. It's from Ministry of Healing. You ought to memorize the chapter of the physician and educator. The physician is continually brought into contact with those who need the strength and encouragement of right example. Many are weak in moral power. They lack self-control and are easily overcome by temptation. The physician can help these souls only as he reveals in his own life a strength of principle that enables him to triumph over most injurious habits. No. Every injurious habit and defiling life, a lust, in his life must be seen, the working of a power that is divine. If he fails here, however forceful or persuasive his words may be, his influence will tell for evil. Look at your own life. Look at your heart, not your waistline. Is your influence telling for evil? Is it? You better find that out. No matter how persuasive 
or forcible your words. Is the power of God at work in your life? You know, I was tasked to review the literature on this uh, getting patients to change. Well, I did. I read about 50 or 60 articles, and I included one here because I think it's a lot straighter from the writings. But uh, just read through this with me. Uh, you'll get my drift. This is family practice, actually a British journal. I've changed some of the spelling so you'll be able to read it. <laughs> Conclusion. The relative importance of specific behaviors varies across preventive interventions. This points to a need for tailored practice interventions targeting the specific barriers that impede a given preventive service. The negative influence of the physician's own behaviors indicates a need for associated population-based interventions that reduce the prevalence of high-risk behaviors in the population as a whole. Isn't that clear? Well, what did they find? What they found is this. If a physician drinks, he doesn't tell his patients to stop. If he doesn't exercise, he doesn't tell his patients to start. And if he doesn't know his own blood pressure, he does a really lousy job at controlling his patients' blood pressures. The bottom line is this. If you don't stock it, you can't sell it. Now, I talked about malpractice earlier. Not offering lifestyle medicine may one day be malpractice. But I want you to read this and think about another kind of malpractice. In their work of dealing with disease and death, physicians too often lose sight of the solemn realities of the future life. In their earnest effort to avert the peril of the body, they forget the peril of the soul. The one to whom they are ministering may be losing his hold on life its last opportunities are slipping from his grasp. This soul, the physician, must meet where? At the judgment seat of Christ. Um, I don't know if any of you have had the unfortunate opportunity to be involved in malpractice. I have. Um, another physician made a mistake and sucked me into it on more than one occasion. I haven't been perfect, but I'll tell you what, I'd rather stand before any judge of this earth than before the heavenly judge with the blood of the soul on my hands. Well, you know, uh, I've practiced medicine for 22 years in the same town in Brunswick, Maine. And uh, I see about 20 patients a day. I used to see more, but with the benefits of computerized medicine and meaningful use, which is entirely unmeaningful to me, <laughs> I can't go as fast as I did before when I was just dictating. Um, and I can't tell you how many uh, days I've been in my office and uh, Someone comes in and they need lifestyle counseling. I'm already an hour behind. My nurse can tell you how many times, but I can't. She's worked with me for 22 years. Bless her heart and all her other vital organs. 
She's only missed a half day of work in 22 years. She came in that day, but she kept vomiting, so I sent her home. I, uh, I uh, had the good opportunity to work with a physician in training who told me once, anybody can be a doctor if they have a good enough nurse. Well, I do. Um, she could tell you. And uh, I can't tell you how many times I've gotten home late um, on a cold winter night. And we've got a lot of those in Maine. We do have a beautiful summer in Maine. It's gorgeous, just beautiful. And last year it was on a Wednesday. <laughs> but you get home, you get home, and it's cold, you know, and, and my wife's in bed, and, and uh, you know, I can just feel the warmth emanating from that bed, and I'm about to crawl in, and, you know, the beeper goes off. And it's the ER, and so you go back in. And you're dog-tired. And you think, how can I do more? Well, I'm here to tell you, you can't. You can't do more. You can't do what you're doing without help. My favorite prayer is, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Paul said, my, my, strength, my weakness is made perfect in his strength. You know, that's one thing. That's one thing I'm not short on is weakness. You ever found that out? Yeah. When you neglect a prayer, you deprive your patients of blessings, medical ministry, 195, when you neglect to offer prayer for the sick, you deprive them of great blessings for angels of God are waiting to minister to souls in response to your petitions. When's the last time you left the angels hanging? Huh? Standing around your office saying, oh, I hope that brother prays. Else we don't have anything to do here. I hope that sister prays. Stand there twiddling their thumbs. Is that what you want them to do? Well, changing your patients' diets and the office practice, you better begin every day with prayer. I was a little bit afraid to do this in our office because not everyone in the office is an Adventist. We have a lady that's not. You know who's the most insistent we have prayer? She is. The one who always says thank you afterwards, she is. Pray. Pray. Luke 5, 17, and it came to pass on a certain day as he was teaching, the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Is the power of the Lord present to heal in your office? If it isn't, you know why it didn't? One of two reasons. Either your life's out of whack or you haven't prayed. One of the two. And the only way you can get your life back in is start praying. All right. So what do I do? What did I do for these five people, four people? Well, 
I'm kind of rough. And here's week one, and you might not like it, and you might have another one, but this is what I hand them. I say, this is what you get to eat for the first week. Same thing every breakfast, every lunch, and every supper. And don't complain to me. You're the one that got yourself into this mess. <laughs> and, and, and I tell them one thing. I said, you will not be hungry. That's all I'm going to guarantee you. You won't be hungry. So you can read through what I give them. And then I say, I want you to read, too. I want you to read one of these books, either read Prevent and Reverse Heart Disease by Esselstein or Reversing Diabetes by Neil Barnard or The China Study if they've got cancer, or Forks Over Knives. That's out in a book as well as a movie. If they can't read, they can look at the movie. Or you can even try Ministry of Healing, Diet and Health. It works. It works really well. And week two, they return, and every one of them will say, well, I feel better but can't I have something else to eat? <laughs> and then I have them see uh, Mary Pinner, who's sitting right here, and they think they've died and gone to heaven. <laughs> but if she's gone or before she was working for me, uh, they had to put up with me. And if any of you are interested in some of the menus we use or the, the recipes, Mary has a cookbook. She has uh, some things with her. You can contact her. Mary, will you stand up? This is Mary Pinner. And uh, she can help you. Anybody here that has coronary disease, talk to her. You know, as Essel Stein says, coronary artery disease is a toothless paper tiger. If you eat right, it'll go away. 99% of the time. There is 1% of people that have a terrible genetic problem, but that's only 1%. Those are the ones we're going to leave for... Brian Schwartz. Where's Brian? <laughs> the rest can come to Weimar or one of the other places. Yeah. And then week two, we do for a one hour of diet counseling, and uh, or if they're desperate with me, and uh, they've got to have recipes and cookbooks and menus and where to buy all the new ingredients and how to season things. Week three, they return for lab testing, follow up, and encouragement and connecting with venues outside of the office for further teaching. And we've tried all kinds of them. We have a two-week lifestyle choices program where they come and we have a lecture and exercise period every evening. And uh, then uh, we provide them all their food. They get supper on site and a take-home breakfast and lunch. You know, it's not ideal. It's a lot better to send them away someplace, you know, out in the country, uh, sanitarium style. But this works, and it's affordable, and insurance covers it, and we've got great numbers. We've been doing it for 16 years, and it works good. Or another thing they really like is supper and a group visit. When we're not doing lifestyle choices, we do that. Mary cooks supper. I never miss a supper, you know. Uh, Mary cooks supper. They all come. I had a patient come, and, uh, you know, his belly's out to here. And uh, he has diabetes and coronary artery disease. He's after supper, he said, I've never eaten this good of food, and you can tell I've eaten a lot. <laughs> he tried to take Mary home to be his cook, but <laughs> Mary's husband, Greg, wouldn't allow it. Yeah. Uh, that works. Cooking schools work. Plug them in. But remember, 
if you don't introduce them to the power that sustains change, that enables change, they'll just be recidivism. You have to introduce them to the power of God. In closing, I'd like to say the biggest impediment to lifestyle change in the patient is the unchanged life of the doctor. You got that? You think about it. Any questions? Question from the back. Do you sell insulin books to them or give them insulin We give them handouts with recipes and menus. We have a three-week uh, menu and recipes. Uh, Mary has a cookbook for sale. She has a copy of it there. Neva and Jim Brackett have a wonderful cookbook, uh, Seven Secrets. Um, one of my patients had been on uh, Esselstein's Prevent and Reverse Heart Disease Diet, I mean the stuff that's in his book, and she got that one, and she said, I thought I'd gone to the promised land. Um, we are very careful with diets when we're working with people this sick. I you know, these people are not easy. These are sick puppies. I mean, the guy with the four millimeter ST depression, he was really the easy one. And the only thing I was really worried about was that first two weeks. That's what I would, you know, that, that one would have, where's, where's Brian? Brian, what would you have done with that guy? Cast him, right? Yeah, cast him. <laughs> exactly. And that's what I thought, too. I mean, put something in this guy to make sure he makes it the next two weeks. I mean, a minute and a half on a treadmill, and then it didn't normalize even when he left. And a half an hour later, I was chewing my nails to the stump. Pardon? Exactly. I think this guy had either severe triple vessel disease or left main disease, and I tried to get him to go to the ICU, and he says, no, I don't think I will. And I said, all right, but you may drop dead walking down the hall. But he didn't. Three, three weeks later, you know, what happens here is your body gets the ability to make its own nitric oxide again. Flow-mediated dilation normalizes within two weeks on a very careful diet. And I, the Lord healed him. It wasn't the diet that healed him. And uh, it's going to be fun to interview him. Uh, what a character. Question. Yes. Uh, when you give this plant-based uh, diet, do you, did you tell these patients also about the, the gospel or only the change the, the diet? Because Well, what, what, I don't tell them about the gospel in the sense of sitting down with the writings of Paul. I tell them, look, God will help you make the change. That's simple. I, believe, I say, I believe that the God who designed your body to heal itself will help you make the changes needed. He'll help you. And, I, and we're going to be praying for you. That's the gospel I tell them. I mean, really, what is the gospel? The gospel is... God will, has, has forgiven your sins. That's all the stuff you just did to get yourself into this mess. He's forgiven that, and he'll help you start new, and he will help you obey these laws, and he'll bring it, because you can't do it on your own. 
That's what the gospel is, isn't it? The, the essence of the gospel is restoration. Physical, spiritual, and so we start, we start with the physical. That's the opening wedge. Why is it the opening wedge? They say, oh, this works. If it works for my body, maybe it'll work for my screwed up family and the, everything else. Yeah. So, so you inspire them hope that there is hope. a change possible. Right. Thank you. Yeah. Question, Dina. How, how oh, did you arrange for the insurance? Well, it's pretty easy after you uh, develop a track record of dropping. The, in the Lifestyle Choices program we do, well, there's two things on insurance. One, group visits work fine for the supper. Uh, for Lifestyle Choices, that's based at our little hospital. Uh, the way it works is really simple on that, too. In two weeks, the average cholesterol drops 50 points, the average blood pressure drops 10 points, the average uh, pulse drops 10 points, and the average weight drops four to five pounds. And you show the insurance companies this, and they say, oh yeah, we could do that. One insurance company at a time? Oh yeah, we had to go to each one of them, yeah. But I mean, we've been doing it 16 years. Yeah. I still have a, another minute, right? Don't steal time from me. Um, what suggestion do you have for those who work, let's say, in a, a public setting for a public hospital or government hospital or something like that? How can you share your faith or pray with patients and not get in trouble? Well, you know what? I think it's just fine to get in trouble doing the right thing. <laughs> Bring it on. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Thank you so much, Tim. Isn't that awesome? We have a great God. This media was produced by Audioverse for Amen, Adventist Medical Evangelism Network. If you would like to learn more about Amen, please visit www.amensda.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.